You're listening to the Revolution Church Podcast. To learn more, including our gathering times in Crossville, Tennessee, visit us at CrossvilleRevolution.com. Well, hey, let's start today out with a word of prayer because the Scripture is particularly spicy today. And I want to make sure that we have our minds right as we go into this. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. And uh, we thank you for giving us breath today to even be able to be here. We thank you that you allow us to live in a country where we have the freedom to be able to gather together to worship you, to sing about you, to celebrate your birth, uh, to be able to get your word and open it up. Today, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit does what only your Holy Spirit can do, and it reveals truth to every single one of us. God, I pray that you just help me to do the best I can to try to communicate your word in a way where we can all understand exactly what it is you're saying today. And again, give every single person in here ears to hear what it is you're trying to say. For the Christians that are in the room, help us to identify those things that we need to change. For the non-Christians in the room, even if they don't even know they're a non-Christian, I pray your Holy Spirit convicts and draws them to Jesus. I pray, God, and then in this service, you minimize the distractions. God, that cell phones would be silenced. God, that if there's a a kid in here that's going to lose their mind, the parent would be mindful and honor those that are around them and take them to the nursing mother's room, or better yet, check them into the nursery or rev kids. And God, especially as we really speak about some adult subjects today that are pretty intense. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Amen. I saw a uh, YouTube video this week as I was researching for this sermon, and the YouTube video talked about all the different famous kinds of walks over the last few decades. Uh, Maybe there's some people in here that are a little more seasoned in life like I am, And you remember when something became very popular known as the moonwalk. Anybody remember the moonwalk? Raise your hand. Yeah, that's my people. We're the old folks in here, right? You know, Uh, you remember what this is? Anybody remember what this is? Walk like an Egyptian. Old school song that was popular for some weird reason back in the 80s, right? I saw this guy walking like a cowboy and he stuck his fingers in his pockets, his thumbs in his pockets, and he was walking like he had spurs on with bowed legs. We know what a cowboy walk looks like, right? Uh, You guys know that I like to go to the gym and I think guys are hilarious, some of them in the gym. It's typically guys that are like real buff and real bulked up and everything. They don't walk like this. It's the skinny guys that walk around with what we call imaginary lat syndrome. They walk like a fake bodybuilder like this. Look at me, man. Look at me. You know what I mean? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Say amen. You ever seen somebody or maybe yourself ever done the cow field walk? You know what that is? It's where you're watching every step. Y'all know what I'm saying? So you don't step in. The King James says dung. We'll just leave it at that, y'all, okay? How many of y'all, when you were little, your parents would say, before you walk across the street, make sure you look both ways so you stay safe. Well, the sermon title today is 
the walk of love. And we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. In the greater context of Ephesians chapter 5, over the next several weeks, you'll see that Ephesians chapter 5 actually talks about three different walks that we're supposed to have. Today we'll cover the walk of love, but in the next several weeks you'll see us talk about walking in the light, walking in wisdom. If there's ever been a subject that has been, for lack of a better way of putting it, beat to death in our lives, it has to be the subject of love. Love is the most talked about subject in human history. There have been more songs written about love than any other subject. There's been more poetry written about love than any other subject. More books written on love than any other subject. More words said about love than any other subject. Human beings have an obsession with love. Now, in America, I believe that culturally, we have a broken definition really of what love is. And one reason I think it's broken is because in our language, we have one word for love, and that is love. If you've ever heard me before explain the four main types of Greek love that the Bible speaks to, there's four different ways in the Greek that they would describe love. And I think it would do good in our context and in our language to understand that love means different things. There are really different definitions. It's almost like it would be better if we had four different words like in the Greek. For instance, someone may say, I love my dog. And then a few moments later say, I love my wife. And hopefully, I don't know if the laughing's good or bad. Hopefully, you love your wife more than you love your dog. And if you don't, we do have counseling available, okay, y'all? So that's the problem. (laughs) People will say something like, I love buffalo wings. Amen, y'all. This is the 11 o'clock service. I'm hungry. How about y'all? I'm not hangry yet, but I'm hungry, okay? Everybody say hungry, okay? Where's my buffalo wings lovers at? Come on, y'all. Anybody love buffalo wings? Yeah, baby. So you love buffalo wings, but you also love Jesus. Hopefully, again, you love Jesus more than you love buffalo wings. Well, today, in verses 1 through 6 of chapter 5 of Ephesians, We're going to see Paul lay out some indicators of what it means to love. What it means to love. What is the definition of walking in love? And we're going to see Paul say, hey, walk this way. Walk in love so that you don't step in a cow patty in your life. Walk in love and and make sure you're keeping yourself safe. In other words, when you're crossing the street of life, Make sure you're looking both ways because you're walking in love. This will keep you safe. So let's go to verse 1. If y'all are with me, say I am. Look at the first two verses. We've got two major points today. And then under the second major point, we've got some sub points that we'll get to. So number one, he says this, Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. And here's why we named the sermon Walking in Love. Walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. 
Number one, Paul says the way you walk in love is you imitate your heavenly Father and you imitate your Savior Jesus. You imitate your Father and you imitate Jesus. You've heard preachers say before at altar calls, I'm sure you've heard this if you've been at church for any amount of time, that in order to get saved, the knowledge of the gospel and the knowledge of Jesus has to go from your head and it has to go 12 inches south to your heart for you to get saved. And I believe that. But what Paul has been teaching us in chapter 4 and up till now, and he's honing in on, and the rubber's meeting the road today, is he's saying not only does the gospel need to go from your head to your heart, but it also needs to move to your hands. It needs to move to a place where it's impacting the way you function in your life. As one preacher said, you need to wrap shoe leather around the gospel. And the gospel is the thing that guides you wherever you walk. You're walking there because Jesus walked there. Because God the Father gave us this example. Just as a reminder and a review, if you remember, the first three chapters of Ephesians didn't instruct us to do anything. It was all about what Jesus did for us. Now, what we've talked about in chapter 4 and now at the beginning of chapter 5 is, now... After we've learned about what Jesus has done for, it, for us, now we imitate what He did. You've heard philosophers say, I think, therefore I am. Well, what Paul is saying here is you need to know, and therefore you do. You need to know how Jesus walked, and therefore you need to walk in love as He walked. And the reason is, is because there is no greater example of walking in love than looking at the walk of Jesus. Ephesians chapter 2, we essentially read Scripture, if you remember, that talked about how it would take all of eternity for God to show His love to us, for Jesus to show His love to us with the inheritance that we've all had that follow Jesus. It opens up in this Scripture and says, follow God's example. The word follow here, is the Greek word, and I'm going to try to say this. It sounds kind of funny. Uh, it's the Greek word mamitas, mamitas. Okay, everybody say mamitas, mamitas. Okay, say it one more time, mamitas. It sounds like mimosa for some reason. I don't know why. I got my head in the gutter or something. But it's where we get our word for mimickers. Follow is where we get the word for mimickers. So we're supposed to mimic God. We're supposed to mimic Jesus. In other words. We love people that are unlovable. Why? Because Jesus loved us and we're unlovable. We're so sinful. We forgive people that are unforgivable. Why? Because God forgave the unforgivable in us and we're mimicking Him. I heard about this boy that was sitting outside of Macy's in New York City and he was begging for money. And a woman that was dressed very nice walked up to the boy, grabbed him by the hand and said, come with me. He took him in Macy's, he bought him shoes, he bought him socks, he bought him clothes, he bought him anything he needed and anything he wanted. As the lady was checking out at the cashier's counter, the little boy pulled on the lady's coat, looked up at her and said, Ma'am, are you God's wife? Why? Because what that little boy saw in her is she was mimicking God, so that must be his wife. This is what Paul is saying is the goal. The goal for us is that people yank on our coats, look, it up, look up at us, and they say, are you God's kids? Because you act a lot like Him. Are you Jesus' friend? Are you His brother? Because 
you, you imitate him and you act a lot like him. If you've ever seen a kid when they first start drawing and they start to not just make collages of things, but really start to make things that are artistic, one of the first ways they're taught to draw is by tracing. They'll take a picture, they'll put a thin piece of paper on top and kids will trace over the top. The word picture for what Paul says in these first two verses is what we are doing as Christians is we're laying a piece of paper over the life of Jesus and we're tracing over it, walking in love just like He walked in love. As we talk about this and we'll see if you're going to walk in love like Jesus, you really have to ask the question, how much are you willing to change to be more like Jesus? How much are you willing to sacrifice to walk like Him? Why do I say that? Because in the next several verses, Paul gives us some more specific things that sting a little when he tells us how to walk in love. Listen to what it says in verse 3. Y'all still with me? Say, I am. He says, but among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity, or of greed. Because these are, listen to this phrase, improper for God's holy people. Remember, the book of Ephesians is written to Christians. It's written to people that are involved in the church. Secondly, the second major point that we see Paul point out here is we walk in love by influencing our brothers and sisters. You walk in love by influencing your brothers and sisters. What Paul means when he says it's improper for God's holy people, he's saying you need to be an example to others. You need to be a witness to the people around you that are looking for hope. Your beliefs, in other words, need to match your behavior as we talked about last week. Here Paul gets into some specifics, and there's two specific categories that Paul gets into in this passage. And He tells us the negative part of this and says, don't do these things if you're going to walk in love and be an example to others of what it means to walk in love. First, he says, don't participate in immoral works, what we call sins of the body. What you see Paul do in verse three is you see him give a call to purity in Christians' lives. He uses three specific words phrases or words to describe these sins of the body that we're not to be involved in and participate in immoral works. First, he says, don't participate in sexual immorality. The word that is used in the Greek where we get the phrase sexual immorality here is the word porneia. It might sound familiar to you. It's where we get our word for pornography. And this is a word that covers all kinds of sexual sin, any kind of sexual sin. One theologian says this is any sexual activity that takes place outside of a heterosexual marriage. This includes fornication, adultery, homosexuality, prostitution. Let's throw some of these in here that we tend to sweep off to the side. Uh, Oral sex when you're dating. Heavy petting when you're dating. And this is for everyone of every age at Revolution. This isn't just a teenager sermon, right? This is for any of us that find ourselves single at whatever age we're at. 
any type of sexual activity outside of heterosexual marriage. Why? Because sexual immorality is devoted to what I get out of it, not what I can give you or how I can serve you. Walking in love, one of the main attributes is generosity. It's serving people. It's helping people. Sexual immorality offers none of that. If I could put it another way, love doesn't take. Love gives. That's why I've taught my daughter, if you're ever on a date with a guy or you get a boyfriend, and he looks at you and says, if you loved me, you'd have sex with me. That's when you pull your gun out. Shoot him in the leg. Don't kill him. Just shoot him in the leg. If you don't have your gun, smack him until his ears are ringing. You call me. I'll come pick you up. And honestly, I'll take care of it from there. Because I'm not afraid to go back to jail. Seriously. Seriously. Young, young ladies in here, you need to hear this. That's not love. Because love doesn't take love gives. Chuck Swindoll says it this way, sexual immorality degrades our humanity. It never enhances it. One commentator said this, sexual immorality turns humans created in the image of God into objects created for gratifying our own selfish desires. Paul says, if you're going to walk in love, don't be involved in that. Secondly, Paul says, if you're going to walk in love, don't be involved in impurity. Impurity. The Greek word that's used for impurity here, I'm going to try to say this, is akatharsia. It's where we get the English word for catharsis or cathartic. But here, it's used as a negative in the Greek. So in our language, something cathartic cleanses us, but something in the Greek that's acathartic pollutes us. He says you're being polluted by the sexual immorality and impurity. It refers to the effects of immorality on our hearts, on our minds, and our bodies. It refers to moral uncleanness that leads to guilt, shame, habitual sin, obsessions, addictions, and a life that can end up being out of control. Thirdly, he says, if you're going to walk in love, don't participate in, as it's translated here, greed. Now, in some translations, it doesn't translate it greed. Greed's a good translation. It translates it covetous, and that's a good translation as well. The Greek word here is the word planexia. This is the same root word that's used for idolater in verse 5 that you'll see me read here in just a second. So you could translate this word greed, coveting, or idolatry. It's the same word that's used in Colossians chapter 3 verse 5 that sort of gives us a clear definition of the word when it says, put to death therefore whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Idolatry. Greed includes anything that gives you an insatiable desire to have something other than God. 
This could include an insatiable desire for, as we've looked at the context here, this is probably what Paul's referring to, for sex. Just got to have it. You're not going to give it up. This obviously could also include an insatiable desire for material things. Got to have it. Not going to give it up. Greed makes a God of what it seeks to possess. That's greed. We've all struggled with this, right? If I could just make this much money, then things would be good. If I could just find a good man, then things would be good. If I just had this, then things would be good. Paul says, if you're going to walk in love, you can't be motivated and pushed forward by greed. He continues in verse 4, and after he gets done talking about not participating in immoral works, now he talks about not participating in immoral words. Look what he says in verse 4. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. As I said, Paul now extends some of these specifics into not just works, but words. Don't participate in immoral words, or as we could refer to them, sins of the mouth. All through the New Testament, it talks about our language, our speech, the things that come out of our mouth. We hear Jesus say things like, what comes out of the mouth shows what's in the heart. Out of the abundance of the heart is what comes out of the mouth. He gives us some specific words again, Paul does, and he says, number one, don't be involved and don't talk about obscenity. Could be translated filthiness. This is shameful, disgraceful talk. Speaking obscenities that rob people of their dignity. This would include innuendos and lewd or suggestive speech. Secondly, he says, don't be involved in what he calls in our translation, foolish talk. Some translations say silly talk. The Greek word for this, again, I'm going to try to pronounce this, is morologia, morologia. It's where we get our English word moron. So Paul is using extremely powerful language here, and he's saying, don't talk like a moron. Look at your neighbor. No, I'm just kidding. Nothing. This is the same word that is used and translated into fool. So Paul's saying, don't talk like a fool. If you're a Christian, stop talking like a moron. Stop talking like a fool. Now, a fool in Scripture is not necessarily referring to someone that is unintelligent. It refers to someone who denies the reality of God. Psalm chapter 14, verse 1, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. One commentator points out here that Paul is referring to this and saying, historically, Moros pointed to a practical denial of God as the judge of good and evil. This is foolish talk. This is pointless, empty talk. Unnecessary talk that helps no one. Talk that is unprofitable to the people that hear it. 
It's not the word in the, in the Bible is edifying. What that means is it doesn't lift anybody up. It doesn't help the ball of the kingdom go down the field any further by saying these things. You don't do that. Don't be involved in talking like that. Don't even listen to that kind of stuff. Because one day we're all going to be judged for every idle word we've ever said. Don't be involved in foolish talk. Thirdly, he says, don't be involved in coarse joking. Coarse joking. The Greek word is a word spelled E-U-T-R-A-P-E-L-I-A. And specifically, this refers to humor that depends on twisting words to make something innocent seem suggestive, sensual, or immoral. In other words, don't talk in a way where you make something dirty out of something harmless. Now, some theologians in the past have read verses like these, pulled them out of context and suggested what this means is Christians should have no sense of humor. We should never joke. We should never say anything funny. Many theologians over the years have looked at Jesus's ministry and the way he walked and said, There was no humor. Jesus never laughed. He never told any jokes. But there's a great commentary called Jesus Laughed, and it's on the humor that Jesus used while he was on this earth. And Jesus told jokes regularly. So is this verse of Scripture saying that Christians aren't allowed to laugh? They are not allowed to have a sense of humor? Absolutely not. God gave every single one of us a sense of humor. And even in the scriptures in Ecclesiastes 3, it makes it very clear that there's a time to weep and a time to what, church? Laugh. There's a time to laugh. It's okay to laugh. If you come to Revolution Church, you know we laugh on the regular. We think it's great to make fun of ourselves, to make fun of different things, to to laugh and have a good time. In fact, right now, I'm going to tell my favorite joke that I've told over the last two years. I've told this joke in the last two years, so if you remember it, just laugh like it's the first time you heard it, but it's so good, and it so applies that I just got to tell it again, okay? Y'all, y'all with me? Say amen. I heard about a guy who went to the Holy Land. He took his wife and took his mother-in-law. While they were in the Holy Land, all of a sudden, his wife or his uh, mother-in-law passed away. The undertaker said, listen, We can ship your mother-in-law back to the U.S. for $10,000, or we can bury her here in the Holy Land for $500. Which one do you want to do? The man thought about it for a minute. He said, I think I'm going to pay the $10,000, and I'm going to have my mother-in-law shipped back to the U.S. The undertaker was blown away. He said, why are you going to do that? You could save so much money. We'll just bury her here. It's in the Holy Land. Your mother-in-law, man, she was a believer. The man looked at the undertaker and said, listen, 2,000 years ago, a man died and was buried here in the Holy Land. Three days later, he rose from the dead. I can't take that chance. That's funny, right? Come on, y'all. That's good. It's okay to laugh. It's good to laugh. As one theologian said, one thing that separates us from animals is animals never get the joke. You ever notice that? So yeah, it's okay to laugh. It's okay to joke. What Paul is referring to is you need to use wisdom in your joking. The Bible speaks clearly to things in our life that are foolishness and that are wisdom. 
They're not necessarily sinful, but if you're too foolish with them, they can become sinful. And it's the same thing with humor. I thought about this to death this week and tried to think about what do I need to tell us to be careful with when it comes to joking around. And I I whittled it down to two different things that will, I think, help us when it comes to joking. What's appropriate, what's wisdom, uh, what's not wisdom, uh, what is foolishness, and what could be inappropriate. Number one, you need to be careful in your humor with what I'll call inappropriate jokes. There is no Christian that should ever make a sexual joke about someone, and here's the caveat, that is not your spouse. Okay? If you joke around with your spouse and send funny Instagram videos and make jokes that are innuendos and things like that, I think that is totally fine. I think we see examples of that in the Song of Solomon in Scripture. But outside the context of your marriage, you should never listen to, laugh at, participate in, or tell a sexual joke about someone. Does that make sense to everybody? Say amen. So if you're a husband and you joke around with your wife, totally fine. Wife jokes around with the husband, says something funny. Totally fine when it comes to sex, sexual jokes, and things like that. Also, you should never make jokes that make fun of someone's physical appearance, their circumstances, their intellect, or their character. If you remember when we talked about anger, Sermon on the Mount, don't say Raka. Raka was being angry with someone's intelligence and saying something bad about their intelligence. You fool, don't say that or you're in danger of hellfire, right? That is uh, saying something about someone's character. So you should never make fun of someone's character. You should never make fun of someone's intellect. You should never make fun of someone's circumstances because remember, you're going to reap what you sow. You should never make fun of someone's physical appearance. Never make fun of those things. Thirdly, I would tell you, you need to be careful with joking about those that are in authority over you. Let me explain this one. This one's very important. Maybe your family has a great sense of humor, and that's great. You joke around with your parents all the time. But be careful in making fun of your father and mother that the joking doesn't bleed over into disrespect and dishonoring because we're supposed to honor our father and mother. See how this is a subjective thing and you need to be very careful? Be careful. Be careful in joking about your boss because if you cross a line joking about your boss, again, foolishness versus wisdom, you might be finding a new job. Be careful in making jokes about those that are in authority over you. You guys know I'm an open book. Y'all can joke with me all the time. Half the stuff people say to me after sermons is telling me I messed up in this and said this wrong and did that wrong and stuff like that. But be careful that it doesn't cross a line into disrespect with pastors, with elders, different things like that. Another great example of this is, you know, we're Christians, and so we're different than the world. And so this is very important with 2024 coming up, an election year. We refer to President Biden as President Biden. No matter how you feel about him, he's been put in authority over you. And the Bible makes it very clear the only reason he's in that position is because God has allowed him to be in that position. 
And so we honor that position and we refer to him as President Biden and we pray for those that are in authority over us. We refer to former President Trump, not Trump. What I'm saying is this. We're different than the world. If you're here today and you've fallen into the trap of politics, and let's say you have a sticker on the back of your car that's sitting in the parking lot right now making fun of President Biden, what you do after this service is you go and quietly peel that sticker off because you want to be an example to a world that has lost its mind. You don't want to dishonor. You want to follow Scripture. And even though you disagree with Him, you're praying for Him. You love Him. You're going to respect Him. Does that make sense to everybody? Say amen. So be careful. If you're not sure if you should say it or not, and you're not sure if it's going to cross that line, what does that mean? What's wisdom? Shut up. Look at your neighbor and say, shut up. Say it like I said it just now. Shut up. Be careful with joking. Paul has to be inspired by the Holy Spirit here. Because he's looking into the souls of men and women. <laughs> and he's saying, I know what you're going to struggle with. Every one of y'all. Every one of y'all. You're going to think, nobody's going to tell me what I need to do with my sex life. Not even God. It's nobody's business what I do with my boyfriend or my girlfriend. Not even God's. Pornography I'm looking at is just harmless. It's no big deal. Boy, he's hitting us right between the eyes, isn't he? Nobody's ever going to tell me what I'm supposed to do with my money. Nope, not even God. Nobody's ever going to tell me how I'm supposed to talk. It's just the way I am. Man, He gets us. God gets us. He knows where our struggles are. You see this? He knows that these are the areas that even, for lack of a better way of putting it, the best of us struggle in. The best of us struggle in. He says, don't participate in those things. And then he continues. And in verse 5 and 6, Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit some of the heaviest words that you will find in the New Testament. As we read these, I really want you to allow these words to absorb into your soul. Feel the weight of what Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus as he writes this. And let's feel that weight 
as Revolution Church today. He says in verse 5, for of this you can be sure. He's writing this to a church, y'all. Why did he say this? Listen to what he says. No immoral, impure, or greedy person, parentheses, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Word of tension, any, zero, zilch, nada. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Empty words. What's he talking about? He's talking about. Well, first, let me make this clear. He's not saying that if you struggle with any of the sins we've talked about, that you forfeit your salvation if you mess up in any area. If you are doing the best you can and you mess up in one of the things that we've talked about today, Paul is not saying that, oh, you told a dirty joke. Now you're lost again. Oh, you messed up with your boyfriend. Now you got to get resaved or something like that. We all mess up. Just because you know Jesus does not mean you are going to be perfect. Amen, Rev Church? All of us are messed up. What does it say in the lobby, on the wall, painted over, y'all? What's our low, our saying here at Revolution Church? Come on, help me. No perfect people out. We mean that. The only person that's perfect at Revolution Church is Jesus. And he's not here in bodily form. Y'all know what I mean? None of us are perfect. So he's not saying that you'll lose your salvation. No, we're, we're not perfect. We're just forgiven. And we're doing the best we can to walk in the Spirit and to walk in love. What Paul is speaking to here is people that live a deliberately persistent lifestyle that resists the Lord, resists the teaching of God's Word, and a Godward direction. He's speaking to those that might even deceive us with empty words and say, I'm a Christian. I go to church. I'm born and raised in Crossville. I've always been in church. I got baptized when I was five years old. Empty words, right? But shamelessly continue in a habitual, sinful lifestyle. There's no inheritance. It's just lip service. He's talking about those in these two last verses of this part of the passage that refuse to change in the face of correction, confrontation with the truth of God's Word. They don't respond to discipline. He's talking about those that are completely unresponsive to the truth of God and have no conviction in their lives about the things that they need to change. He's talking about those that claim to be a believer with zero righteousness 
no purity, no holiness. And what Paul is saying is, number one, if that's you, but number two, if you see people like this, not a Christian. You're not a believer. You come to church 1.7 times a month, but the rest of the time, you look just like the world. You have no inheritance. Two of my staff, Alex and uh, Taylor, are going to help me right now. And what I want to do right now, and just ignore them and keep looking at me, okay, y'all, because they're going to set something up for me, is I want to give you a visual example of really what we've talked about this week and the two weeks prior. Because ever since we started off in chapter 4 and started the applicational part of the book of Ephesians, Paul has laid out this binary view that the Bible has. And he talks about how there's two ways that you're going to go. There's two ways that you're going to walk. And there's two paths that your life is going to split into. And you've got to decide which one you're going to end up on. Paul, in chapters 4 and 5, really gives us an example of this is a good visual for you that there's, there's two ways. You can choose to go God's way or you can choose to go the world's way. And please listen to me when I say this because churches don't do a good job of laying out the binary viewpoint that the Bible has in this area of holiness and righteousness and the fruit that we have as believers once we meet Jesus and how there is a change that takes place in our life once we meet Jesus. Most churches teach that you meet God and you go up a rung, but you can still have a foot in the world. And your life is, sometimes you'll be a rung higher on the world and then you'll get even and maybe sometimes you're a rung higher with God and I should not have wore these pants are way too tight for this example. If you hear something rip, just close your eyes, okay, y'all? So, in these shoes, I did not think this out properly, obviously, okay, y'all? Anyway, you get the idea. Whether church is mean to or not, we kind of make you guys think, hey, yeah, you can be of the world, be of God, sort of straddle the fence. And what they fail to tell you is, is when you ride the fence, what happens is you get bit on both legs. Eventually what happens with every single one of us is we get to a place where you can't go any higher and you've got to choose a path. You've got to make a decision. This is what Paul's saying. You've got to decide, am I going to do things God's way as laid out in His Word and believe His Word is true and follow Jesus and walk like Him? Or am I going to do my own thing? Am I going to pursue myself? There is no third option, y'all. God is very binary, which is not what the world is teaching us right now. There's right and wrong. There's holiness and sin. There's darkness and there's light. 
There's male and female. It's binary. You've got a choice. Sometimes we've seen people say, I can't go up any higher, kind of riding the fence. So you know what? Forget y'all. I'm just going to go over here and I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to live with my boyfriend. Screw y'all. I'm not listening to you. I'm going to go tell everybody in town that y'all are awful. And you kicked me out of the church when really what we did was we tried to help you not to destroy your life because you're following your ways. I'm going to keep having sex. I'm going to keep doing everything I want to do. Forget God. I'm in the world. Is everybody with me saying amen? Our hope, our hope, Paul's hope here is that you would choose life. You would choose fulfillment. You would choose God's way. Start to grow in Him. And yeah, hey, hey, this ladder's always going to be here, y'all. None of us are perfect. You're going to inch back over, start to, whoa, start to put your... I'm making y'all nervous yet? Keeping your attention, though. I'm over here about to... My foot. Alex, come up here. Well, what would you do if, if I was involved in church and I'm over here? Come on up here. Come on up here. And I'm like, man, I'm, I'm following God, Alex. Alex is in my small group. Alex is my brother. And I start to go, man, I think I'm going to go over here. This girl's hot. Oh, gee. Okay. This is how the church functions, by the way. And if she's hot, so is hell, gentlemen. I'll just tell you that, okay? He might be a stud, ladies. But there is an STD in stud. I'm just telling you. Be careful. I don't know why I said that. That has nothing to do. Sorry, you can go sit down. I'm getting in trouble. I got to hurry here. You see the point? This is what Paul said in chapter 4 and chapter 5. He's telling people, listen, you got to make a decision. Are you in or are you out? Because if it looks like a duck, talks like a duck, acts like a duck, what is it, y'all? It's a duck. If you look like the world, if you act like the world, if you talk like the world, you're of the world. If you look like Jesus, you walk like Jesus, you talk like Jesus, you're not perfect. We're not goody-goodies. I think we're more in tune with our sinfulness than the world is. Because they believe in self-confidence. We believe we're all wretches that are saved by grace. If you look like Jesus, walk like Jesus, talk like Jesus, you're with Jesus. Makes sense to everybody say amen? Let me pray for you. Lord, we love you. Thank you for today. Thank you for your word. I pray, God, for every single person in here, God, you would lead and guide them in your ways. Help me, God, as I read through this this week. And boy, you hit me between the eyes. I love being funny. I love joking around, but i got to be careful. There's some things I need to change in my life, some TV shows I need to quit watching because they're not good for me. The goal of my life, help me, God, to make the goal of my life honoring you, walking like you, and being an example to others so that 
God, help me just to make the goal in my life not to be that somebody will laugh at my joke, but that somebody will experience Jesus. And I'll be a reflection of you and be a witness for you. And I pray that for every single person at Rev Church. We love you. In Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. We love you guys. You're dismissed. We'll see you next week, Christmas Eve, baby. If you're encouraged by today's message, be sure and rate us and subscribe on iTunes.